Hello everyone and welcome to That Time When, the comedy history podcast where we talk about strange things that happened in history. I'm Amelia Edwards and here is my partner, Barnaby King. Hello to everyone out there. Now a little bit of housekeeping before we start. Ooh. A little bit of troubleshooting. We are back to the one mic setup, so hopefully this is alright. I'm sure I'll find out in the edit. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, unfortunately the other one totally broke while we were trying to set up, which yeah. is very upsetting. Yeah, got absolutely nothing from that at all. But hey, we're going to invest in some better microphones when we get a table so that we can actually sit across from each other. Well, <laughs> true. But talking about investments, Ooh. Barnaby... Have you ever considered investing in tulip bulbs? No. I We've got some pickling onions growing out in the garden, and there's some carrots and lettuce, but... Oh, no, rubbish. That's not what you want to invest in. Oh. You want to invest in tulips, okay. for sure. Right. Honestly, you can get such a good return. Well, what are we doing here? Why are we making a podcast? Let's go. I don't know. We should be doing floristry. <laughs> okay. So, really, what I'm talking about today, I'm going to be talking about tulip mania. Ooh, okay. I that know. sounds fun. I've been reading a book. You have? I have. A book? A book. You? I know. A woman? <gasps> How dare you? Shocking. You shouldn't stuff. be able to read. It will overheat your brain. It will overheat my ovaries for sure. <laughs> okay, so, today, well, this week, I've been reading a book called Tulipomania. 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 Is that like Calippo? It's very delicious. <laughs> okay. Um, and I'm going to put in the name. Okay, so this book is called Tulipomania by Mike Dash, and he deserves a lot of praise. Okay. Because basically, tulipomania tulip is something that's recently kind of, like in the last 10 years, kind of grabbed the ideas of some filmmakers and some writers um, okay there was actually a film which i was nearly an extra in called tulip fever okay uh, which is based off this idea was anyone famous in it probably but <laughs> no one watched it so never mind i'm so sorry if the people who performed in that thing were our listeners <laughs> genuinely i don't think it got a big release okay um, but some people know about it um, hmm. and this is all because of this guy mark dash hmm. mike dash and who, uh, like, really got to, the, got to grips with this idea of what tulip mania really was and how much it actually imposed on people. Because before that, there was, like, some Victorian guy who wrote about it. But as we know, the Victorians tend to make a lot of stuff up. Okay. So we don't listen to them very much. Right, okay. This is a known thing in history, is it? Um, well, okay, so uh, it's my opinion. It's the opinion of many other people who are, like, fellow historians as right. well. yeah. Um, who hopefully will get on the podcast at some point. Mm. Well, I mean, most of the friends that you made at university and whom we are still friends with are historians in one fashion or another. That's true. I mean, they're all actually working in insurance but they are still historians for insurance sure. accountancy all that sort of stuff that you can get with a history degree yes it's very <laughs> exciting um so i can't talk i did psychology and what am i doing now making a podcast oh god what's happening with my life that's all right we got a rabbit We're we good. have calm down <laughs> all right so um today i'm going to be talking about tulip mania mm. And I want you to cast your mind back, okay. as always, at the beginning of my podcast. Right. Uh, it's February in the year 1637. I remember it well. In the town of Alkmaar right. in the Netherlands. Okay. 
Um, now, a man called Wooter Winkle. That's an amazing name. I love his name. I'm going to say it as much as possible. Wooter Winkle. Wooter Winkle. That was the... Uh, it's similar to the actual name of... Um, you remember Gautier, who did somebody that I used to love? Yeah, yeah. Is that somebody the... I used to know? Used to know, yeah. Um... Yeah, I got it confused with something else. Anyway, uh, Gautier, his real name is Wooter Wally DeBacker. Oh my god, that's so good. <laughs> so, yeah, another Wooter. Wooter Winkle. Wooter Winkle. Yeah. Wooter Winkle was a local tavern keeper and a single father of seven. Jesus. I know. Prolific. Um, he died six months ago. Oh. What? Wait. Well, imagining we're in the year 1637. <laughs> I was going to say, six months ago? Yeah. That's incredible. No, no, no. He's not super long-lived, but we're in 1637 right. and we're with his orphans. His seven orphans. Yeah. Their father died six months ago and they've been stuck in local orphanage ever since. Oh. Apparently, this is not a bad place to be because um, the Dutch Republic looked after orphans and old people in a way that no other country did at the time. Okay, so when I think of orphans in history generally i'm thinking like oliver twist oh no definitely no right like they weren't being sent to the workhouse mm. uh, they were sent to an orphanage and it like they would only be supported by the state until they were old enough to work right which i don't think was like as old as we would be nowadays when like i think they're thinking like 13 14 mm. um, at which point they would be sent off to whichever factory mill or workshop could take them mm-hmm. which isn't great but it's better yeah. than victorian england i think is it i mean i suppose i'm thinking again thinking about like workhouses where you basically just got slave labor and uh, yeah so oliver twist was nine years old in the story when yeah. he had to work in the workshop and that was proper work yeah and then like they wanted to get rid of him so they sent him off to like wherever the undertakers wasn't it it was originally going to be a chimney sweep oh okay which, but he like but the chimney sweep was decided they decided he wasn't good enough so. okay i've never actually read oliver twist i've been teaching it to my year eights this year oh nice nice that as much as i know like most of my knowledge from it comes from the musical and the film based on the musical and that one bit that you've told me about where there's that boy who's like, I'll be happy when I'm dead and in heaven. And to add insult to injury, his name is Dick. Yeah. <laughs> oh, poor Dick. And he dies in the end. His name is Dick. His name is Dick. He dies in the end. He's happy because he's in heaven. Yeah. Um, so, these orphans are slightly more lucky than that. They're in the Dutch Republic, which looks after its old people, looks after its orphans. Mm-hmm. Um, they get taken to an actual orphanage. Right. Um, and they're even more lucky because Wooter Winkle had a side business on top of being a landlord. Of course. He collected and grew tulips. Okay, cool. He's going to winkle out a living from the earth. Hey! Um, so by the time of his death, Wooter had a collection of more than 70 rare fine tulips. So like fancy tulips. As opposed to those common tulips. We don't want those sorts around here. <laughs> we just want the fine tulips. Um, they're called, like, the, the common tulips are called, like, um, oh man, base tulips or something like that. Base tulips, right. They're, like, less rare tulips. He had loads of those as well. But he had 70 rare fine tulips. Mm-hmm. So, six months after his death, on the 5th of February... 1637, the trustees of the Orphans Court at Alkmaar mm-hmm. held an auction 
to sell Wooters tulip bulbs on behalf of these orphans. Right. So you can see, like, they, they've got the orphans, like, best interests at heart. Mm-hmm. Before the auction began, a private buyer negotiated with the trustees to buy a few of the very best tulips from this collection. Now, I can't work out exactly how many of these are based on the book, but maybe, like, ten? Right. For these flowers, the buyer paid more than 21,000 guilders. Now, to give context of what guilders are, mm-hmm. uh, 21,000 guilders would have paid for two large houses in one of the more expensive parts of Amsterdam, which was then one of the more expensive cities in the world. Shit, son. Yeah. So, like, this is, like, when some guy comes up to you and says, okay, do you want to live in central London? Yeah. I can give you two houses for your rare tulips. Jesus. So, like, maybe 10 tulip bulbs, maybe 12. Like, that many. Why did he bone tulips so hard I'm gonna tell you Ah. it's gonna take a lot of time (laughs) okay Okay. strap in folks it's time for tulip mania tulip mania it's like wrestlemania but way less (laughs) way way slower and (laughs) more and more related to just like looking at earth oh yeah so this like this private purchase sets the tone for this auction right um, and by the end of the day, after everything's been auctioned off, including the basic tulip bulbs, yeah. Wooterwinkle's orphans have made around 90,000 guilders. Oh my god, so they're set for life. They are. Now, we don't know exactly how much they end up with because, like, taxes, and we don't uh, know right, if the yeah, orphanage yeah. actually took something for having hosted this thing. Yeah, probably. Um, which, you know, you kind of hope they did. Yeah, yeah. Like, that, that bit's going to be left out of the dramatisation. Oh, sure. <laughs> like we, so we don't know how much they got taxed. If they had got an equal share of the whole amount, mm-hmm. that would be 13,000 guilders each. Which is still more than enough to buy a house each. Oh, yeah. Like, this was more than 40 times the annual income of a typical artisan salary Jesus. in, like, Holland. Gilders. Gilders. That's not a term I've heard before. So this was like the general amount, like this was like gold coins in right. du- like in Dutch um, at the time. Okay. And um, so they didn't really get used in any international trade. So no. We, ha- we hear a lot about like Florence. I was going to say, Florence is exactly the one that I always think of, of yeah. this sort of era. Florence and, um, oh God. Wasn't guineas? No. Yeah, yeah. Was guineas, it guineas? Guineas. Yeah. Oh, okay. So for I the... learned something. <laughs> well done. <laughs> so for things like florins and guineas, those were both international forms of like currency yeah. that would be accepted across like Western Europe and mm. like eventually the Caribbean and stuff like that. Um... <laughs> Colonialism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Oh. Um, however, I think guilders are way more like Dutch. Yeah. Um, but the tulip fever in this case is a very Dutch phenomenon, which is why it's going to all be in Gilders. Okay. Um, like, actually, though, like, going completely off on a tangent, tulip mania was not a purely Dutch phenomenon. All right. But the, the one that's known about is the Dutch one. Hmm. There was originally a tulip mania in France. Um, a couple of, like, I think in the early 1600s, this is in the 1630s, that the Dutch one happened. Mm-hmm. Um, in northern France, they had a mini tulip mania. Okay. A little tiny one. little tiny one. Apparently ladies used to like to wear uh, tulips in their cleavage. 
What, betwixt the tits they have a tulip? Absolutely. <laughs> Amazing. I okay. Know. I mean, that's one way to stop men staring at your cleavage. It's one way to start it because, my God, you're not going to want to look at the cleavage. You want to look at the tulips, man. Well, that's what I mean. Like, mm. it draws attention away from the, the boobage mm -hmm. and towards the flower betwixt the boobage. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Maybe we should be adopting that nowadays. What? Stick tulips with tulip tits? Yeah, I mean, thinking about stuff like catcalling, you could just surround yourself in tulips. Oh, like um, Florence Pugh in um, oh, Midsummer. Midsummer, yes. Just wear that yeah. big old tent dress of yeah. flowers. That would yeah. definitely... Like, either that would stop catcalling or it would start it in a major way because, let's face it, catcallers will catcall everything. I mean, that's true. I, I've, I've heard about, like, catcallers, <laughs> despite masks happening, being like, hey, take your mask off, give us a smile sort of thing. It's like... Wow, they, they adapt. <laughs> I hate to say it, Barnaby, but all men are bastards. Oh, well, yeah, that is true. Speaking as a man, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so this, um, this orphanage, this auction, happened at the height of what is now known as tulip mania in the Netherlands. And this was like a weird period in Dutch history. It lasted between about t four and ten years when... Dutch florists played increasingly larger and larger sums for tulip bulbs until it got to the ridiculous sums that effectively made Wooterwinkle's children modern-day millionaires. Right. So was this kind of like an artificial fad sort of thing? Yes. Right. Okay. So wh wh why did it start? I will tell you. Ah. So... To put this in a little bit of perspective, we've got to bear in mind that tulips were relatively new in Europe at the time. Okay. So, originally, tulips started off in, like, the mountains of China, and then slowly made their way across to the Ottoman Empire because of people really liking them and liking the way they looked. Okay. Um, they got introduced probably from the Ottoman Empire into places like France and Holland around the mid-1500s. See, I find this sort of stuff really interesting because, mm. like... It's it's stuff that like you can see around. Obviously, we're we're in England, yeah, and you can see stuff like this around all the time. And it's just so weird to think that it had to be introduced. That it was like there was a period where it just wasn't a thing. Oh my gosh! But if you live in the UK, like there's so much stuff that isn't actually native to Britain, well, like I mean, rabbits or hares. I was literally going to say rabbits because yeah. I was looking at Lombardy over there uh, just now. <laughs> He's a foreigner. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember it was in your like first year of university or something. You went to that lecture about rabbits. Oh yeah. And about how they were introduced to Britain, but it's like. The idea of like wild rabbits in the countryside, I feel, is now a very sort it's of a British thing. it's a quintessential British thing. Like you could see it on a BBC landscape shot. Yeah, except the rabbits didn't come into the UK until 1066 hmm. with the Norman Conquest. Of course, yeah, yeah. Course. yeah. Um, so just like that, we've got tulips, right? Yeah, something that you see across Northern Europe, um, something that's like so like quintessentially Dutch. Hmm. Uh, but they didn't get introduced until, like, at least the 1530s. Okay. So this is early in their propagation. They're kind of new, so they're a bit popular, a mm -hmm. bit faddy. They're really exciting flowers, yeah. like, for the Dutch at the time. Because um, if you sort of compare them to literally anything else that grows, they're so much more colourful, they're so much mm. more bright, and they grow on those, like, thin stems with the sort of cut yeah. at the top. It's not like anything the Dutch have ever seen. Yeah. So they're super excited by this. At the time, originally, tulips were all one colour each. So okay. they were mostly like red or white or maybe purple. Yeah. But when they came to Holland, something weird happened. 
They got infected. They did. They became Dutch. Not quite. <laughs> they got infected with a virus. Oh, right. Okay. Um, which has only been... How topical. <laughs> it's only been identified relatively recently, within the 1900s. Right. Um, it's called the mosaic virus. Okay. And the mosaic virus, if a tulip gets this, then it becomes what's called a broken tulip. And that means that it's one colour splits into loads of different... Like, right. into, like, say, a white background with loads and loads of red stripes on it yeah. or purple stripes. Or, or you get those ones that are like, that's got the sort of sunset gradient thing going on them. They didn't have that at the time. But that's I mean, a modern one that's not to do with the virus. Oh, okay. So we don't have the mosaic virus anymore. Right. And um, all the tulips that have No, it, we just got the coronavirus. And... <laughs> <laughs> um, Hopefully not. Like, yeah. gosh, by the time this comes out, I swear to God. No, well, no. I mean, it's only going to come out in about five weeks. Mm. <laughs> A little glimpse into our recording schedule. Right? <laughs> um, okay, so uh, apparently the parrot bulbs that you can get nowadays with, like, the little frilly edges, right. um, they do have a virus. It's a different one. Okay. And um, So basically, whenever a tulip gets a virus, it makes it kind of more interesting, but it also makes it easier to die out. Right, yeah. So... This was the thing that happened to Dutch tulips. They started off in these, like, basic colours, and then they broke. They had um, these, like, beautiful uh, sort of different colours on them, hmm. and usually it was white with a red streak on it. Right. Um, so it makes sense that, like, really wealthy people who were either connoisseurs of tulips or just wanted to show off the fact that they were really wealthy mm -hmm. uh, would want to buy these new rare... Yeah valuable unusual flowers yeah anything rare kind of has a value ascribed to it yeah and the dutch apparently was super into their gardening like it was a thing that um british ambassadors would comment on is the fact that even the poorest dutch person liked having a little garden with flowers in it to sort of brighten up their life oh nice which is super cute yeah good for the bees i know <laughs> i don't think they were worried about that at that time but no worry about it now we, we should always be worried about these of course um the problem was, though, that because these new bre breeds were really... Your shoulder dead, clicked really loudly just was then. Elbow. Was your elbow? Oh, wow. Okay. okay. I wonder if that made it on the recording. <laughs> Probably. Let's start that again. <laughs> okay. The problem was that at first, these new breeds, the, the broken breeds, were really rare. Mm -hmm. So if you've got a new type of tulip, the next year that bulb might be two bulbs, and the year after that it'll be four. It, it extends out in that kind of yeah. pattern. So, the rareness of the new bulbs meant that tulip enthusiasts might only have a really small collection of the broken tulips. Hmm. So, there was even one collector called Adrian Pau, I think. I'm going to be terrible on Dutch names and I apologise. Hmm. Adrian Pau... I mean, I should be better coming from Belgian stock, but I'm just, <laughs> I'm no good at it. You should be listening to your father. <laughs> Oh, I'm so tempted to tell the story about when we were locked out of the hotel, but I, I think another time. I, another time, another time, because that takes some setting up. It does. <laughs> okay, so there was a, one collector, Adrian Powell. He was super wealthy, right? He had his own castle. Mm -hmm. um, he had a special contraption made out of wooden mirrors put in the middle of his tulip bed so that it looked like he had hundreds of tulips. Right. When actually only had a couple of dozen. <laughs> okay, so he's, he's making he's making use of the space. Absolutely. Making it seem larger, like when you get a large mirror in a small room. But the thing is, he had loads of space. He just only had a few dozen tulip bulbs. He couldn't possibly get hold of any more of the type that he really wanted. But you said he had a castle. Yeah. 
But this was how rare these tulips bulbs were. Okay, at this point, right, right, fair, yeah. Okay, this is this is putting it into some context because I'm assuming this is what do you say, the 1630s? Uh, he yeah, he was around the 1630s. Right. So castles at this point are more stately homes than they are practical defence, right? Definitely. And actually, so he was this special class they had in Holland at the time called the Regency class, which means that he was a wealthy merchant or. Um, Oh, how nouveau riche. I know, exactly. <laughs> um, they didn't really have aristocracy in that part of Holland in the same way that other countries did. Okay. Um, this was just a whole weird thing that stemmed off the fact that Spain owned Holland at one point. <laughs> right, okay. Like, there's a lot of backstory to it. I have to admit, I know very little about Dutch history. The few bits I do know, it's always just weird. It's a bit odd, yeah. Why, why, why is it so weird? I think it's because... Okay, so... Um, for some reason, and I don't know exactly why, and I'm sorry about this, but the Spanish invaded the Netherlands hmm. back in the 1500s, maybe? Okay. Um, and I mean, that was at a time when the Spanish were invading a lot of people. Yeah. Um, like, they tried to invade us, and they failed because exactly. of the sea. Yeah, no, because Francis Drake <laughs> sold his soul to the devil. We learned this last week. Oh, that's true, yeah. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, so they did invade the Netherlands, and the point I'm talking about, actually, the tulip fever, the tulip mania, mm. came directly after um, the Netherlands had gained their independence and suddenly had like loads of cash coming in. Right. Um, so it got a bit weird, I think, because possibly the Dutch wanted to get rid of anything to do with the aristocracy, so they and like the Spanish and like right. all that kind of reign. So they just went. Very pure, very Puritan, very um, independent. And so you got a lot of like merchants and you got a lot of people who gained their wealth through investing and stuff. I'm kind of picturing a sort of like French Revolution style, get rid of all the aristocracy and noble born and everything like that. No, I think they more like slid into it. Right. Like uh, imagine like the American Puritans and their, like, quest for equality, this is more what we're thinking. Like, lots of ladies covering up the sides of their heads and their hair. Yeah. Lots of gentlemen who only ever spend money on tulips because they're beautiful, (laughs) but will not spend money on their own houses. I was going to (laughs) say, if you're trying to advertise a lifestyle, comparing it to the American Puritans is not a way to go for it. I guess this is the way I always imagined the Dutch at this point, though. It's the American Puritans. Right. I'm not trying to say that it's a good way to live, Mm. but... It is one that's more in terms of, like, it has more equality and it has more social mobility to it than, like, the 1600s of the UK. Okay, so, like, actually talking about these regions is super useful. Right. um, Because it sort of helps to explain why people got so over the top about tulips. Because, Mm -hmm. basically, we're imagining it's Holland... It's the 1600s. They've suddenly got independence. Mm -hmm. Um, They've suddenly got a load of refugees coming up from the southern states, which were more Spanish. Mm -hmm. But, like, loads of people don't want to be part of the war, which is fair enough. Right. Um, And so you've got loads of wealthy merchants suddenly turning up who can afford to buy tulips. Right. And they can afford to buy these super expensive mosaic broken tulips. Yeah. And this brings us to... The most coveted of the tulips. Ooh. The best tulip that's ever existed. And this was called the Semper Augustus. And it got you super high. Oh my gosh, so <laughs> high. So this was a white flower with red streaks on it. 
Wow, that sounds exactly like the ones you've described before. I know. <laughs> but this one was so good for reasons that have never really been explained. But apparently everyone who saw it said it was literally the most beautiful flower they have ever seen. So apparently the dealers that like broken tulip bulbs often um, lend to lend themselves to like random streaks. Right. Whereas the Semper Augustus was always... Um, was it ordered? Was it patterned beautifully? <laughs> it was. Um, it was always sort of... Um, uh, what's the word for when something's... Symmetrical? Yeah. Right, okay. It was always symmetrical. So here's a picture of the Semper Augustus. This is the most beautiful tulip bulb that's ever existed. I mean, okay. Yeah, it's, it's, pretty, nice. it's pretty nice. Yeah, it's kind of like... It reminds me of those... Um, I forget what they were called. They were like strawberries and cream sweet. <laughs> yeah, with the, like, the, the red and white stripes in it. It's Very... a raspberry ripple. Sort yeah. Of yeah. I always think of that as yellow and red. Oh. Yeah. Oh, fine. Yeah. Probably right. because we got cheap raspberry ripple. Sounds like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this was like the most beautiful flower ever. And I read loads of descriptions of it. Mm. And it talks about like it having a dark base at the, like, at the base of where the stem meets the flower, mm. almost like deep blue. And then it's got this perfectly symmetrical red and white and like streaks of it. It is now extinct because it had the mosaic virus, uh, which yeah. means that it couldn't survive. Yeah. And looking at it, it's very nice. I'd rather have a house. You wouldn't, un like, you don't understand unless you've seen the real <laughs> flower, which yeah. no one's seen in of like course, 300 right. years. Yeah. Um, so, like, this was the flower that kicked off the tulip mania. Mm -hmm. This was it. Like, mm. this is the flower. And as soon as the florists, like, caught wind that this flower existed, they were scouring the flower markets in northern France, where it's supposed to have originated. Um, but they had no luck in finding it. Okay. By 1624, mm -hmm. no more than a dozen Semper Augustuses existed. Right. And they all belonged to one man, um, who was rumoured to live in Amsterdam. Okay. But we don't know who it was. Right. I found a rumour somewhere, like on the internet, that it might have been Adrian Powell, our guy with the yeah. magic reflective mirror yeah. thing. Uh, but no one really knows whether that was him or whether it was somebody else. And... Mm -hmm. um, because the person who wrote about it at the time kept took care to keep his name secret. Right, okay. Um, apparently, he just refused to sell the bulbs. He was not going to sell them at any price. I mean, okay, fair enough. Like, it sounds like these things are only really valuable because people have found out they're rare and want hold of them. Yeah. In a way, it's kind of a socially responsible thing to do <laughs> to not sell them. But the problem is he did sell one. Oh, no. Oh, you were doing so well, random man who was possibly Adrian Powell. I know. Full possibly Adrian Powell. He sold one early on for 1,000 guilders. So not super No, expensive. I mean, considering the price of the other things that we've talked about so far, that's relatively cheap. That's because we're That'll back... only buy you a bungalow. <laughs> this is because we're back in 1624. Right, Which yeah, is okay. right at the beginning of this whole tulip fever mess. Yeah. Um, by 1638, at the height of the mania, one of them was advertised for 13,000 guilders. Mm. So the amount that yeah. um, possibly each of Wooter Winkle's orphans got. Yeah. So it's a bit like um, Bitcoin a few years ago when there was this thing where it's like a lot of people who bought it early on sold it because, hey, it's suddenly worth a little bit. And yeah. then suddenly, like in then, a few years, whoop. it was worth so much more. Absolutely. 
Yeah, or it's like my dad on that house in Brighton. Let's not talk about your father's <sighs> financial issues. <laughs> They're not issues. They're, um, Generosity. Yeah, mm. it was generous. <laughs> okay, so the problem with the Semper Augustus, though, yeah. isn't that it existed and it was sold for this like huge amount of money. Right. The problem is that as soon as people realised it was going to be too rare for them to get hold of, they started trying to work out which was like the second best. Right. Bulb. Okay. And the race tried, is on. It really was, and they tried to breed as many of these like really exciting mosaic virusy um, flowers as they possibly could. And then they made triffids. Oh. Oh no! <laughs> they became more and more expensive as a result of this. Triffids? No, no, no. Our, our, our flowers, tulips, our tulips, yeah. our exciting tulips. Yeah. Um, so here's the basis for our tulip mania. Like, mm-hmm. They're beautiful and they're rare and they're new. Yeah. And some wealthy people are more than happy to buy them so they can show off just how wealthy they are. Yeah. Or to show off the fact they really like tulips because some of these people really did like tulips and like, really cared about them. Rich people never change. I know, right? <laughs> But that's not the whole story. Yeah. So the weirdest thing about the Chile mania, in my opinion, is that ordinary people who had little to no experience or interest in flowers uh, saw how much these extremely rare tulips were selling for, and they thought, you know, that sounds like a great investment. Right. Okay. This is sounding like a bit of a economic bubble. It really is. And that's the reason why some people got really excited about the idea of tulip mania, because they kind of see it as, like, the first boom and bust. Yeah. It wasn't really, because it doesn't actually affect the whole of the Dutch economy. Okay. It's like just some people got into it. Yeah. But um, a reasonable number of people got into it. Mm. It didn't actually affect the Dutch economy at all. Right. Like, and that's kind of worth saying, because, like, I do want to talk about how interesting this is. But it's not a, as big a deal as some people make it out to be. I'm kind of thinking of it when there was that thing... Uh, in the like late nineties, early two thousands, when people thought that Beanie Babies were going to be really valuable, yes, it's where, exactly that. Yeah, it's the Beanie Baby rush. It's like you got some people who were like super into collecting them, and this idea that the collections were going to be really valuable. Ultimately, mm-hmm. nothing came of it, but at the same time, it didn't really affect that much. Yeah, like maybe some people lost some money. Yeah, uh, but they gave Beanie Babies that were really expensive. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and also, like, you start making up weird rules about why they'd be expensive. Yeah. Like, and starting to put, like, little plastic tags on their tags. You Was know, that a keep... thing? Yeah, yeah, you used to get these little plastic clippy tags that you put outside their regular Beanie Baby heart-shaped tags. Oh to try and make them sure they didn't get bent or anything. <laughs> That's so stupid. I know, it's great. Oh, dear. So, apparently there are some things about the Dutch in the 1600s that just made them, like, the perfect candidates for becoming mad tulip investors. Okay. Within Europe, um, the Dutch were famous for two things. They were famous for being really big savers. Okay. And they were also famous for being really big gamblers. Right. Okay. Las Vegas of this time was Amsterdam. Oh, my God. (laughs) It was. Okay, I'm going to tell you a couple of stories about them being big gamblers because they're quite funny. Okay. A French traveller called... Charles Augier wrote mm-hmm. that it was impossible to find a porter to carry your luggage at Rotterdam because as soon as the visitor had chosen one, another would arrive and play dice with the first one for the client's <laughs> business. Amazing. Right. Um, there are also stories about a man called Barrent Backer who won a life-threatening bet that he could sail in a kneading trough down the Zuda Zee from the island of Texel to Weringen. And there was an innkeeper in a place called Blesvik. 
maybe. Um, his name was Abraham van der Steen, and he lost his house on a wager concerning the precise appearance of a specific pillar in Rome. <laughs> wow, okay. So there were, like, mad wagers going Yeah. Um, and so, like, these Dutch, um, like, everyday people who had been saving as much as possible... Yeah. Um, they like to invest their money in reasonably safe gambles. Yeah. Basically. They had the spare cash and they could then invest it. Isn't that ultimately what investing is? More or less. But, like, we're kind of thinking about a time when not many people saved as much as the Dutch right. did. Right, okay. So, like, a lot of Dutch people at the time had, like, were really, really poor. So we're talking mm. about, like, the higher class artisans who managed to have some savings. But yeah. apparently they used to save as much as 20% of their earnings and then spend that on either investments or on, like, long-term pieces of furniture or whatever. Okay. Um, so, like, I mean, that's what that's what we ultimately aim to save, but I can't imagine that anyone no. actually really saves that much unless they're quite wealthy. Or my mother. Or your mother. Yeah. <laughs> But your mum listens to this and she's our biggest listener, so let's not talk <laughs> shit about your mum. We're not talking shit. <laughs> she's thrifty. <laughs> okay, so. I still remember her bulk buying toilet paper at Worthing Market. She had like a trolley dolly in order to cart it away because it was cheap. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> she was hoarding toilet paper before it was a thing. <laughs> she was a hipster. Like, 20 years before it was. Before. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay, so... So, when you had a safe bet, like these tulips seem to be, because they were only increasing in price mm, year upon year. Of course, year, yeah. Uh, it would make total sense to invest <laughs> some of your savings in some bulbs, because you'd know you'd get a profit when you could sell the bulbs in the spring. Mm. Like, this all makes sense, right? Yeah. But then, <laughs> people wanted to speed things up a little bit. So, in the autumn of 1635, a large number of florists changed from just buying and selling tulip bulbs, mm-hmm. which makes sense, mm-hmm. uh, to buying and selling the tulip bulbs that were still in the ground. Right, so it's becoming a bit theoretical. It's becoming a futures market. Yeah. And a thing you've got to bear in mind at this point is that this was one of the first futures markets ever to exist. That's pretty cool. So apparently the futures markets had been first created in Amsterdam in about 1630. Mm -hmm. Um, This was the first one outside of Amsterdam to happen. Right. Um, So you've got these people who suddenly they've created the futures market, the idea that you can buy and sell things that don't actually exist yet, but like on the promise that they will exist. Because, you know, a tulip it's in the ground it's a reasonably safe bed it's going to come back up Mm. Um, but this creates a lot of problems so the only thing you'd exchange instead of the bulb would be a promissory note so the bulb exists and this means that the same tulip bulb could get bought and sold about four times in a day for like four months until the tulip bulb comes back (laughs) out of the ground yeah um, I'm starting to see where the problems are coming from here. <laughs> it starts, yeah, yeah, everything speeds up. Yeah. And um, the other problem was that apparently a lot of people got swindled because they bought tulip bulbs that didn't exist. Oh, no, really? Yeah. I could not just foresee this happening. Absolutely not. But it also meant that way more people could start investing in this because if you could afford 10% of this tulip bulb right, mm. you could say that you'll buy the whole amount because they didn't put down the money straight away yeah. you put down a deposit so you could put down a deposit for 10% then sell your tulip bulb onto the next person get all the money back plus a bit extra yeah. and then pay the full 90% that you owe yeah. and still have 
a benefit. So loads of people are starting to make money in this way. Mm. I've got to point out at this point that a lot of the common people who were doing this were doing it in taverns. <laughs> God, it was a guy in a pub. They oh, were no. all guys in pubs. And they used to, at the end of each transaction, as soon as you sell a tulip bulb to somebody, you both have to have a drink of wine. Right. Not ale. Yeah. Wine. <laughs> Yeah. Um, to celebrate the transaction. And apparently there were like maybe eight transactions happening for each yeah. individual per day. And the wine they sold was in pint and a half mugs. So people were trashed. Well, I mean, I do know this is the thing. Um, do you know if this is after the invention of the cork? I don't know if this is after the invention because of the cork. Because that changed... This is a complete aside. Mm-hmm. That changed the strength of wines because oh. previously wine was a lot weaker. Okay. But once it could be corked, the it was something to do with the fermentation, which uh, meant that it could go on for longer and make wine more alcoholic. Oh, okay. But previously, pre-corkage, right? Uh, wine was probably about as strong as a sort of like a session beer, a normal normal beer. Okay, sure. So. That's Granted, still that's still eight pints of beer. It's still eight pints of beer. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah. Um, okay, so there were even more changes. Okay. So people started buying tulip bulbs by weight rather than by bulb. Okay. Now, okay, so this does make sense because a lot of tulip farmers were kind of upset about the fact that you might sell somebody a tulip bulb mm-hmm. on the basis it you're buying it in the summer, then you dig it up and you find it's got offsets on it ah, right. which are like uh, almost become tulip bulbs but they still need a little bit to go yeah, yeah. so effectively that person might now have three tulip bulbs can't you just separate them you can't oh okay so they bought the whole thing right so this is what happened to the man who sold the Semper Augustus. He sold 1,000 ah. guilders, one tulip bulb, but actually there were two offsets on it. Right. So the guy who bought it could actually sell one of the offsets for 1,000 guilders, immediately pay back his money, and still have 2,000 guilders worth yeah. of tulip for what he'd bought. Okay, yeah. So it was upsetting to the people who were selling it. Hmm. So people started buying these tulip bulbs by weight, and they used a measurement that's called the ace, which apparently is used by goldsmiths. Ace. Ace. Uh, So the ace is, like, reasonably light. Mm -hmm. So, for example, uh, a tulip bulb might weigh 81 aces when it's planted. Mm -hmm. But because they always grow, it might then weigh 416 when it's lifted. Right. And if you paid a gilder per ace for that tulip bulb, you've now got, like, you can now sell it on for about five times what you've paid for it. Which meant that, um, which meant that there were even more profits to be had. Yeah. And it also meant that poor florists could buy shares in an expensive bulb. Mm-hmm. Whereas for your eighty-one ace tulip bulb, you can buy like forty aces of it. Yeah. And that'll just like multiply out by the time you get there. So you've got like two hundred and eight aces worth of tulip. Matt, okay, economics is. Such a weird <laughs> system of like made up stuff, but it also doesn't change, does no, it? No, it really doesn't. Oh my god! <laughs> so yeah, is this why we had the financial crash of two thousand and eight? Absolutely. <laughs> Tulip bulbs. Tulip bulbs. They are our main issue in life. Mm. So 
Uh, the, by the way, there were loads and loads of great stories about this time. Like uh, the idea, like there were loads of like commonplace stories that get told. So like um, there was a story about a merchant who had a tulip bulb, um, mm. which got eaten by a person. Uh, which got eaten by a sailor that had just come off a ship, so thought it was an onion. Like, that kind of story. I mean, to be fair, they are delicious. And then got taken to court, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently they're not too bad to eat. Like, uh, apparently the first bulbs that were planted in Holland, people didn't realise that they were flowers and tried eating them, and they were okay. Yeah, I mean, people eat roots, have eaten roots all throughout history. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I wouldn't advise eating tulip bulbs, especially not raw. No, well, yeah. Yeah. If you're if you're a pansy, <laughs> all right. <laughs> so by... I was setting you up for a good joke there because I said pansy, which is also oh, flower. I'm sorry. That's all right. I'll take my comedy genius elsewhere. By December in 1636, the tulip trade had gone really mad. It already has. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> but I've been talking about these mosaic flowers, right? Yeah. The really exciting ones. Yeah. Um, by December of 1636, so many people had got in on these, like, tavern trades yeah. while getting really drunk. Of course. Uh, that even the more boring single-coloured bulbs were becoming really, really expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> nice artificial economy happening. It really is. And the problem is that this meant that fewer people could buy them, so fewer people could get started in yeah. this trade. On the 3rd of February... 1637, the tulip market completely collapsed. Well, who could have seen this coming? Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) The thing is that some people did. They had actually sold off their tulips earlier. Yeah. But after the 3rd of February, like in Harlem, which is the biggest tulip trading centre of... Not Harlem, America, surely. It's got two A's in it. Ah. I suspect... That's how you know it's Dutch. Yeah, I know. I suspect Harlem, America may be named after Harlem in uh, <laughs> Holland. Harlem. Harlem. So, uh, on the 3rd of February, apparently there was this, like, opening of the tulip market in this one tavern. Somebody tried to sell their tulips, and literally nobody bought them. Mm. And this was, this was the deal. Nobody wants to buy any tulips at all anymore. Yeah. Like, because so much of the market had been like speculative buying. Yeah. It was all about the rewards. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about the tulips really at all. Yeah. You could replace it with anything. Literally anything. I've um, got some edamame beans here. <laughs> They're super valuable. Oh shit, a sailor ate them. Yeah. Um, one contemporary claimed that a tulip that had been worth 5,000 guilders before the crash was now, was sold later for 50 guilders. Yeah. <laughs> and this is like a major crash. So yeah. um, comparing it to, say, the Wall Street crash. Mm-hmm. So this crash happened basically overnight. Yeah. Suddenly everything was valueless. Mm-hmm. Or if you could sell it, it would be between 1% and 5% of the original yeah. value. Someone suddenly went, what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> this <laughs> is like, ridiculous. No. Tulips, really? Really? Um, They're but- not even that tasty. <laughs> oh, gosh. But the Wall Street crash, it actually happened over a couple of years, and even at its base, it was only, like, shares went down to 20% of what they were worth. Oh, wow. Okay. So this crash was insane. Yeah. And entirely based on the fact that no one really, like, there were still those buyers who wanted the really fancy tulips, Mm. but nobody who got involved sort of later on actually wanted the tulip, they just wanted the cash. Yeah, of course. 
a lot of florists had put down deposits on the tulips for the next year. Yeah. And they were forced to default instead of paying mm. for the like the huge sums that they'd promised for things that were now worthless. Yeah. Um, the weird thing about this is that actually they were supported by the Dutch government. Oh. And so instead of people being forced to pay huge sums for the tulip bulbs that they promised they'd pay for, yeah. the Dutch government was like, no, you can default. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, apparently they sent out agents to, like, sort this out and sort out any arguments between people. Oh, okay, that's... I wasn't expecting that, to be I honest. Know, right? I, I, I thought... really thought that people lost their livelihoods. Yeah. They just didn't. Oh, like, okay. I think because it was, it was a reasonably big thing that affected so many people, especially weavers. <laughs> okay, explain. Okay, so a lot of the people who bought tulips were weavers because they had their looms that they could put a mortgage on to put down their original payments oh, for tulip bulbs. Okay. So if they'd had to pay up for the tulip bulbs that were super expensive in the end, they would have lost their entire job. Right. Um, and obviously the Dutch industry was so much based on things like weaving hmm. that the Dutch government just couldn't let that happen because it would have meant loads of skilled artisans completely out of work. So looms must have been really valuable. Oh, yeah, they were. Mm. Like, to bear, bear in mind, looms used to take up, like, an entire room of your house. Hmm. Like, they were a big deal. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm comparing it to sort of, like, uh, Viking Age weaving, where it's like, everyone has something akin to a loom, probably yeah. not something quite... Oh, no, no. The Dutch weavers are, like, super impressive. So... Mm. Um, I'm not sure if it was the Dutch or the Northern French, but um, the idea of, like, the basic ideas of computing originally come from oh, wow. weaving. Yeah. Okay, you know what? Thinking about a loom, that makes yeah. sense. If you're thinking, like, early computing with, like, punch cards and that. It's the punch cards. Yeah. Because the Jacquard style of weaving, um, it, like, used punch cards effectively to create these patterns, and that's what got used in computing when they started off. I tell you what, HAL 9000 from 2001 <laughs> A Space Odyssey would have been way less intimidating if it had been a loom. If it'd been a loom. <laughs> what are you doing, Dave? I will make you a slightly bad jumper, Dave. <laughs> oh my gosh. HAL, open the pub bay doors. I can't do that, Dave. I'm a fucking loom. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. Anyway. Okay, so... The good news of the story is that Wooswinkle's children mm. still got their money. Oh, nice. And apparently they did have to settle some disputes with some annoyed <laughs> purchasers. But the good thing is they had some lawyers. Yeah. Like, as a result of the fact that their orphanage was actually on its shit. They paid their lawyers in tulip bulbs. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a slice. Delicious. <laughs> you can grow it inside your stomach. Oh, Ew. God, what? No. Hey, that's weird. That's very odd. Sure. <laughs> I'll sell you 40 aces worth of my tulip bulbs. Mm, yes, yeah. And then you'll have a theoretical stake in a theoretical flower bulb. Which theoretically could buy the most expensive house in Amsterdam. Yeah. That's all right, really, isn't it? I suppose, but, you know, it just, just continues my idea that Economists have absolutely no idea what they're talking about and are just making this shit up as they go along. I think a lot of it is made up yeah. as they go along. But let's not say it too loudly or the economists will, like, tank our stakes, our stocks and shares <laughs> that we're getting as a result of this podcast. <laughs> oh, yes, all those stocks all and shares. All that good investment, yeah. I've got them here. I've got a big... I've got a... I need something to shake. Uh, I've got a big box of stocks and shares. <laughs> I mean... If we sell a couple of tulip bulbs, we can get a new microphone. 
Oh, too sad. <laughs> too real. I'm so disappointed that the mic broke. I know, I am too. Granted, it was the cheapest microphone I could find on the internet. Yeah, fair. We will rebuild it. We'll, we'll, we have the technology. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, um, as we know, the Netherlands remains the biggest tulip-growing country in the world. And that is probably as a result of the, of the tulip mania, mm. to be honest. Like... There's no other reason why they decided to grow so many tulips. Um, Weirdly, though, about half a century later, Mm -hmm. they had hyacinth mania. Oh, my God. (laughs) Did they not learn? No. Um, I mean, I can't judge them too harshly because, again, we see the same thing happening all the time Mm. now, it seems. Like, we've had the Bitcoin thing. Exactly. Which was so weird. Like, I couldn't even work it out while it was happening. At least Mm. with tulip bulbs, you get a tulip at the end, even if it's a worthless tulip. Yeah. I don't know if it's still a thing. Like... I don't know what's going on with Bitcoin. I really don't. But, like, when it was starting off, I was trying to work out where the value was, and I just still don't know. Mm. It it does just seem like it's just artificial value that people have put on this thing, being like, okay, so this is worth this much. I don't know why. Um, again, I'm not an economist. Someone probably knows something, but I don't get it. I actually spent several hours trying to work out Bitcoin. I yeah. Know. Like, I don't get it. Yeah, we had the Beanie Baby thing as well. Yeah. Like, just that idea that something random that you own could be worth money someday. Although, with the tulips, it's, like, literally, it's worth money now, and you can sell mm. your stocks in it. Oh, it's like... um. It's like when there was that thing about, like, Harry Potter books that had the misprint or something. Oh, yeah. Um, But, I mean, they're probably worth less now that, you know, J.K. Rowling's a known transphobe. Um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to lose all our turf listeners. Oh, Oh, no. no. (laughs) Um, So, just to sort of finish up with, and I'm going to share this on our Twitter feed, Mm. um, which is... At that time when four. Yes. <laughs> you yeah. can still find it by looking at that. That's what yeah. I'm so I'm gonna I'm gonna call you out on this because when I was trying to get an answer out of you the other week as to what the Twitter handle was, you kept saying that time when that time it is that time when four. It is that officially time when four. officially. But you can find it if you just go for that time when. But yeah, the actual Twitter handle is at that time when four. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but it doesn't give you an option on what the Twitter handle is. You put in that time when and they decide that it's number four. I, I'm not gonna argue this point. Let's just let's just let's just move on. Yeah. Find so, find this find this photo at that time when four. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um one thing I'm gonna finish up on is the fact that a lot of the Dutch were aware of how stupid Tulip Mania was at the time. Right. Um, so there is this fantastic blog spot that I found called <laughs> like blog post that I found called um, Early European Gardens. Right. Um, which has a whole post on people making fun of the Tulip Mania. Right. So here is Jan Bruckel the Younger doing an allegory of tulip mania and it's basically a picture of all these monkeys being the uh, tulip purchasers um, and <laughs> basically trashing their little marketplace. It's mad. It's quite a nice painting. It's a nice painting. I actually quite like it. Apparently Jan Bruegel the Younger is like a really big deal. Yeah, it's really good. It's really good. I like it. And um, there are also like a few. Man, what was that? 
Oh, what this one? This is, this is just pictures. I thought she had a gun! <laughs> She's a bat! You were scrolling by! I thought she had a gun! I was like, oh god, this weird baby's gonna shoot me! Uh, to bring context to what Barnaby's saying, um, he's seen a picture of a like young girl holding a fan as a tulip because the tulip and the fan and the girl are obviously the most important things to her parents because yeah. they're both like yeah. valued um no i was trying to scroll through to this picture here okay so a lot of dutch people like as i've said they were kind of like extreme protestants right mm-hmm. so they made fun of the tulip mania seeing it as a symbol of greed and folly mm-hmm. so they made loads of um allegories using the roman goddess flora right and the roman goddess flora is the goddess of flowers and prostitution I was going to say you shock me as soon as you said flowers, but prostitution as well. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so why? I don't know why she's <laughs> the goddess of prostitution, but the reason they used her is because they felt like the tulip trade was giving itself away to anyone right. who would buy yeah, into of course, it. Yeah. Um, you know, like women. <laughs> <laughs> those darned women those darned women so there's this like mad there are a couple of mad paintings with flora in who has a lot of chest on display by the mm. way good um, lord i hadn't even noticed <laughs> that i mean i think that is that is impossible surely i mean okay so how low plunging are her breasts i think I think the idea is that they would be on display if we didn't have such a Protestant gentleman drawing them, you know? Um, So she's holding loads of the Semper Augustus tulip bells. Ah, of course. um, And they're on her flag as well. And Mm -hmm. she's got loads of fools in her coach and Mm -hmm. people running along after her despite the fact that it's to their destruction in the sea. Right, yeah. So people were aware that it was a stupid thing to do. Yeah. I think that, like... It was something that brought a lot of hope to people who just didn't have a lot and really wanted to try and find easy ways to, mm. like, improve their lives. How times have changed. I know. It's, <laughs> it's basically the YouTubers of their generation. Yeah, yeah. A few people make money, most make crap. Absolutely. <laughs> and on that little moral, yeah. moral warning... Absolutely. Um, thank you so much for listening. Yes, thank you for listening to that episode of That Time When. Uh, follow us on various different platforms now. We've got SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes. That's about it. Um, <laughs> Please uh, like and review us on iTunes, leave us a five-star rating, mm-hmm. please. Follow us on Spotify. And thank you to Kevin McLeod for our intro music, Anachronis. And if you're interested in seeing any of the pictures of any of the weird things we've talked about, then follow us on Twitter at that time when four. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to let this go, am I? No. no. No, I'm really not. I've tried. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason I'm not a PR person. <laughs> That time went for. Oh, brilliant. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next week.